Valentine's Day, otherwise known as National Singles Awareness Day. <laughs> I have a friend, she's in her 40s, I never married, I'm not dating anybody now. She posted on Facebook yesterday, hey all you out there, if anybody's secretly in love with me, this would be a good time to let me know. And, and, and some of you might have that feel with a Valentine's Day. For some of you, Valentine's Day is absolutely no pressure. You go, eh, it's just a Hallmark Day, they're making some money and all those sort of things, and you go on. But I'm not a rookie. Truth is, some of you won't tell yourself the truth, but the truth is you have a lot of pressure. Is there somebody for me? Why isn't there somebody for me? Well, why isn't somebody beating the door down trying to get me? Is it, what's wrong with me? And some of you feel a really false, a really false pressure. We will talk about uh, relationships tonight and this weekend. But I, I'm going to tell you, I, I want to get in your kitchen. I want to get in deep. And I want to talk about wholeness on you. And I want to help set a journey, a, a journey that, that makes a difference for you. It is just ironic that this is Valentine's Day. I was a 20-year-old kid who asked Julie out. The first time I asked her out, she turned me down. Um, I was the fifth guy to call her that night, and she didn't want to go with the first guy. She, she just kept turning all the rest of us down, but she was kind enough at the end to say, would you call back? So I did call back. I, I'm not that dumb. So I did call back, and our first date was 45 years ago tonight. It was the sweet, it was more fun. She had been a friend. I, I, we'd been in classes together. We had a couple of classes and we sat together and we were friends. I thought she was dating some other guy back home and I never did ask her. And, and the friendship turned into, and I'm not being flippant when I say this. I got emotional driving down the road thinking the journey of my life because of the depth and wisdom of this woman if you ask me how long we've been married, my answer is not being flippant when I say just not long enough. It's the only real answer I know. Not long enough. I would turn to any of you and I want, I want to rock your world before we finish. I, 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 it's going to sound arrogant and my apology, because I don't mean it that way. The last thing I want to do is four, five, six, well, seven sessions with you. I don't know what it is. And we filled some time. I want to change your world. I want to change the traje trajectory. I, wa I want your five-year-old daughter to be grateful that something happened, that the trajectory of your life impacted hers whenever she arrives on the scene. I, I, I want your own marriage to have joy and laughter and delight. I want your own singleness to have an absolutely high-five, fist-bumping, I know who I am and I know the journey that I'm on. I, I want it to be a phenomenal journey. And so we're going to spend time trying to wrap all that together. Tonight, uh, tonight is, 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 is laying one of the first major uh, Lego blocks uh, down. And we'll just keep snapping things on top of it. Here's what I know, is I know that marriages are absolutely great when they are great. And I know they're absolutely awful beyond imagination when they're not. The greatest joy in life, in many ways, really is the the trust and the relationship that comes out of a great marriage. But the greatest pain comes when we don't know how to live that. 
I uh, checked my email just before I turned my phone off a second ago. And when I turned it off, I've got two kids. I've got a girl that got a hold of me. She's, she's 19. She was my next to the last email. And, and, and my last email was a young man who's 22. And both of them, they are, Randy, are you out of town? Can you possibly meet? The girl said, I just walked in on my dad, and he's in the middle of an affair. And I walked in on with him and the woman. I don't know what to do. The one... The, the boys was I just found out about my parents' marriage. I finally understand something, and I'm so torn up, I don't know what to do. So when I get back to Joplin, my first two appointments will be those two kids. Many of you know the pain is what I, my point is. I'm going to throw this in just by way of, of, I have no idea why I'm throwing it in. I'm just throwing it in. My own life is actually, I've got Ozark Christian College here, but my own life um, um, actually has been uh, the preacher. I preached at the College Heights Christian Church for 33 years. Um, I've been somebody's minister for over 40 years. But at the end of 33 years, I, I, I took a look, and I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. I mean, I know that. I'm in the fourth quarter of my ministry life, to say the least. And I know the fourth quarter matters the most. I've watched enough games. In Psalm 71, David says this. David says, please, God, don't be finished with me till I get to tell your glory to the next generation. It is the job of an old man or an old woman before they exit the stage, whatever lies ahead, is to circle back and find the next generation that's walking onto the stage and say, do you mind if I walk with you just on your journey from mile marker 22 to mile marker 27? Not smarter than anybody else, not sharper than anybody else, but can I take part of the journey with you? That's what David is saying. God, please don't be done with me. And so I stepped out. I didn't want to. I, I grieved over it. But I've been around college kids my whole life. Missouri Southern State University surrounded the church I preached at for those 33 years. So about 6,000 students were just a part of my life. And as much as we had a staff of 50 and 12 ministers on staff and all of those things and, 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 and the administration that came to senior minister and all of that, that that I had, it was not a hard thing to say, God, I'll, I'll, I, I'll, I'll lay that down because if I get to walk with you guys from mile marker 22 to mile marker number 27 in your life, that's how I want to finish this out. And so that's why I say yes to this. That's why I accept that it was our Christian college. It sends out a lot of missionaries and, and preachers. And, and so I, that's what I do is I mentor. I, by the way, I've also read scripture. God does something new in every generation. And he's going to do something new in yours, and I don't want to miss it. I want to be leaning forward and watching what he's doing. And you are the Samuel and Samuelettes. <laughs> And there's an Eli who gets to come along, and, and, and actually Samuel probably mentors Eli about as much as Eli does Samuel, and that's how this weekend goes. Okay, that's, let's get into it. How come, how come marriages are not flourishing? How come the home you came from, there's a very good chance it's not the model you want to live in your own life? I, I thought fall in love was pretty simple. I thought you found somebody you liked. You found somebody that had some solidness to them. They, they think you have um, certain qualities they like. And I thought you fall in love and it's supposed to last forever. How come it doesn't? Why? What's going on? And why is there so much stinking drama in, in the suite with the girls going on? You can't even get, it's not just the guys you can't get along with. Why is, this, why is the drama 
And why the high school junk? Uh, how did that dating stuff turn so sour? And why in the world is this, is this broken concophony of sounds we hear about relationships? Well, why is it occurring? This is a pretty simple answer. It goes a little like this. Everybody is born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. That's instinctive. I came off a cow-calf operation and my a ranch background. I grew up in sale barns in southwest Missouri. And there's a little miracle when a, ba when a, when a calf is born. That, that calf hits the ground and, and it's just, you know, kind of this puddle of, of, of bio biology. And somehow, instinctively, it knows to stand on four little sticks that look like legs. And it shakes as it stands. And then it's never had a taste of milk in its life. It has no idea what an udder is. It's never seen one. And it stands and it takes its little forehead and begins to, to, to push on the side of a cow, looking for something it has never seen or experienced because life is there. And a calf seems to find how to find milk. Uh, whales navigate across the ocean by instinct with no trees to mark their path. They've never been there before, but instinctively it's there. Every one of you instinctively were born with the desire to love and be loved. Be you saint or be you scoundrel, you all have the same instinct. But here's the problem. While the desire to love and be loved is instinctive, the ability to to love is not instinctive. The ability to love depends upon wholeness. You have to be able to reach, and, and you, you reach, and I'm going to use a, a little bit of a visual metaphor. I don't know that this even uh, technically would be what I would argue, but you reach into your heart for the desire to love and be loved. But that's not where you live love out. You see, love makes claims on you. You cannot love someone that you do not have a wholeness in your own life. Love makes claims that you have to forgive when you didn't want to forgive. You have to have conversations when you'd rather avoid the conversation. You have to have the courage to be patient. You, you, you have to have a kindness and gentleness when your own moodiness might want to take you somewhere. There's a responsibility to love. It requires an ability, and you have to reach into your backbone for the characteristics that allow love to be lived out. And the reason marriages don't work and the religion, reason relationships don't work when they don't work is not because people didn't want to love. Well, they wanted to love. They reached into their heart for the desire, but when they reached into their backbone, they came out empty-handed. They didn't have what love requires for the ability. I'm going to get... I, I, I know I'll get too personal with this, and I don't know your story, but some of you... You, you could weep right now if I would begin to talk about it. Why didn't your dad love you? And you've wondered, why in the world did dad look at me and decide that I was so worthless that he'd rather walk out than to be in my life? Why did my dad, and no matter what I did, I was the old marionette. I, I, was, I, I, was, I was trying to dance in some way that would cause dad to love me, but if I did that, he didn't love me. And if I did this, he didn't love me. And if I tried this, he didn't love me. Some of you boys, you broke your neck trying to figure out how to get your dad's love. But every time it was elusive, and you just couldn't figure out what was wrong with you. Well, I can tell you, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. 
Your dad wanted to love you as a five-year-old. Your dad cried himself to sleep. I know that. I've worked with so many families through the years. I've met with about 4,000 couples in problem marriage counseling. Your dad wanted to love you. Your dad cried himself to sleep at night. Your dad hit the steering wheel of his F-150 when he drove to work in the morning, going, why in the blankety-blank is this going so wrong in my house? It wasn't you, sweetheart. It wasn't you, young man. Your dad wanted to love you. He wanted to love your mom, but the problem was your dad lacked wholeness, and your dad would reach into his backbone for the things that love required, and he kept coming out empty-handed, and he didn't have the ability to love you. And a humble man and a man of any wisdom would have broke down and said, somebody teach me how to do this. But that's not what we do in the Western culture. We're an activity-based culture, not a relationship-based culture. And so your dad blamed himself for a while, and then he does the great human sin. He flipped it, and it suddenly became blame. It's your mom. If your mom just didn't poison you, if you just didn't walk across the floor that way, if you were just quieter, if you were just louder, if you were just more this, if you were just that, and suddenly you had all this blame game going on. But the truth was, none of that was true. Truth is, reaching into his backbone, he came out empty-handed. Your dating relationships in your past. Not all of you have this story, I know that. But for many of you, you wonder what went wrong between you and Sam or you, you and Samantha. What went wrong? Gee whiz, it just turned into this crazy thing. It's just a really blunt truth. There was nothing wrong with either one of you. You, you, you both are legitimate human beings except this. You were too immature to live out the claims that love requires. Too selfish, too, too immature, too underdeveloped. I do not know, I do not know of very many marriages that really have marriage problems. Now, now stick with me. Almost every marriage I've ever worked with that was struggling, they weren't having marriage problems. What they were having is individuals that were having personal problems and the personal problems are tearing up the marriage. A lack of wholeness is the issue. Got some notes to try to hold me on time tonight. I'm going to say to each one of you here, I don't want to talk about relationships first. While marriage may be an important part of your life, successful singleness must be. God designed a season of singleness for every individual for the purpose of preparation for the things that love requires. You think that Frodo had some great journey to take. Hang on, big boy, big girl, you got a journey to take. It's a journey of singleness that God has said, there are things you need to accomplish in your singleness because what it will require to love your five-year-old child someday when that occurs, what would be required to actually love a mate, which is actually required to love people the way you want. You have a season of singleness where God says, come on, kid, we have an epic journey to take. And singleness is not a season you endure. Singleness is a God-designed season where I began to develop the kinds of wholeness that's required. Singleness is a sacred journey. There's no apology for being single. It is a time in your life that I began to work with the living God who repairs me, 
and teaches me and I practice it with others and I practice it in every situation because it will be intimate enough at some point in time that I will be in a situation that I'll have to be responsible enough to know how to live love out and singleness is for that. No one can take that season of singleness for you. You have to take your own journey. No one can carry you through it. But wholeness is discovered on that sacred journey of singleness. Singleness is not a season of extended adolescence. Singleness is not primarily preparation for a career or vocation, although that's important and I'm glad you're going to school to be a nurse or whatever it may be. It's not just something you get through so I can maybe have somebody someday. You want to know where false adulthood comes from? It comes from mishandling your season of singleness and you didn't handle it wisely. One of my most favorite passages of scripture that's so convicting to me as well is Proverbs 25, 28. Proverbs 25, 28 is a simple little, little, little statement. It says, like a city without walls is a man or a woman w w without wholeness. The actual word that may show up in your English is self-discipline. It, it actually is the word discipline, and the word discipline is the word that's parallel to wisdom. Wisdom and wholeness are almost synonymous. So here's what it says. Like a city without walls is a person without discipline, wisdom, wholeness. Okay, that's your favorite verse. Man, you got weird verses. No, it really is when it comes to relationships. Here's what he's saying. And I want, you to, I want you to hear me. I, I need you to hear me on this one. I want you to picture two cities, two cities in, in, in the world at that time, one city with walls and one city without. In the city with walls and the city without walls, they want the same things. They play t-ball in the backyard with their kids. They kiss their kids in the forehead and tuck them into bed at night. Old men and old women go walking into the restaurant at four o'clock in the afternoon for supper. They do birthday parties and anniversaries. They have hopes and dreams and aspirations. City with walls, city without walls. In both cities, they take the, the fall wheat and they put it away for the winter so they can plant it next spring. But here's the problem. You see, in the city with walls, come next spring, it's all there. The children are still in playing t-ball and being tucked into beds and Old men and women are holding hands and, and growing old together. The winter wheat's there. But the city without walls, it's, it's pillaged. Raiders have carried off. Robbers have killed. And the hopes and dreams are lost in the city without walls. The most dangerous man or woman on the face of the earth is not the scoundrel. The person who's a snake, oh, they can do damage. Don't misunderstand me, but they don't do that much damage. You know why? Because we all figure them out pretty quickly and you run backwards. No, the most dangerous man or woman on the face of the earth is the well-intentioned, likable, charismatic, I want the right things kinds of person. But when you bring him into your life or you bring her into your life, the reality is they want the same right things. 
but they have never developed enough wholeness and wisdom. They can never give the right things. I have done probably seven or 800 weddings through the years. And a guy has stood here and held her hands and he's made promises he meant. And she stood here and made promises she meant. But the trouble was they squandered their years of singleness. They even had, he had groomsmen lined up. Those aren't groomsmen, they're accomplices. They're the people who participated in the immaturity of his life that never grew to responsibility and he's promising to go home and that he might decrease, that she might increase, that he's going to love her sacrificially and he wants to, into his heart he wants to, but he squandered his years of singleness and his accomplices called groomsmen never cheered him on to wholeness and maturity. He never grew up. And this woman who desperately wants to be loved and raised her family in a secure place, is trusting herself to a man without walls. And many a man has fallen in love with a woman who's likable and charismatic and funny. But she didn't have walls. It's the reason the book of Proverbs says, run from a fool. Run from a foolish man. Run from a foolish woman. Fool, the word fool in scripture can mean really, really wicked and awful. But that's not what it always means. In fact, most of the time it probably doesn't. I have nine grandchildren on the ground and ten on the, and the tenth one on the way. Love my grandchildren. They are so stinking funny. They range from freshmen in high school to I got a freshman, an eighth grader, two seventh graders, a fifth grader, a fourth grader, a second grader, a four-year-old. I don't know, there's 23 more of them somewhere in there. <laughs> four-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. They're sweet as all get out, but they're fools. Well, that's not an insult. It's, it's really not. You see, they're kids who just haven't come to wholeness. They're not supposed to yet. But this guy who says to that girl, the rest of my life I will look after you and be in love with you, he doesn't get that luxury. She ought not marry a fool. I don't care how charismatic, how funny, how likable, how cute, how much he's in love with her. You say, well, Randy, I... We're already, we're already in love. We're already in love. I don't even care if breakups are us is what happens for me this weekend with you, okay? I want to quote Tolkien. You always sound smarter if you quote C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien made this statement. He said, being in love should never be your guiding light in life. He said, if you're in love with a fool, all you really are is companions in a shipwreck. That's Tolkien. You say, well, wait a second. What if I try really hard? I mean, I'm in a relationship, and, and yeah, I fight with my mom, and I fight with my roommates, and I don't do real well, and I have shallow relationships, but I'm really in love with her. Boy, we're just really in love with each other. No, you're a train wreck about to happen. You just aren't honest enough to admit it try. I'm going to try. Boy, I'm going to try. Trying's wonderful. Trying sure beats the heck out of not trying. 
But can I remind you that trying hard actually is not that successful? Look at me. If you gave me all the motivation in the world and said, Randy, we can end world hungry if hunger if you'll just run a marathon tomorrow morning. 26.2 miles run every single step of it. Does this look like a runner's body? Okay. <laughs> I don't care how highly you motivate me. 26.2 miles. My try is not adequate. I can train to it. Give me seven months. I can train to it. But I can't try to it. This would be so crazy. And my apology here, but she comes to me and she says, you know, I got this problem and I need, I, I got this little cyst in the brain. Would you do my brain surgery? Okay, which means she does have a big problem by the way, okay? If she asked me to do her brain surgery, my answer is really inadequate. And I go, well, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you is what she says. <laughs> but I can train to it. Give me 11 years and I can train to it. Your season of singleness is a time of training to things. Trying hard is not adequate. I was, I flew to northern Alaska a lot of years back. I was speaking at University of Alaska at Fairbanks. And I flew up in February. Actually, it was Valentine's weekend. It's Valentine's weekend. I flew up in a plane full of women. Um, it was Valentine's weekend, and this plane was full of women because it was Valentine's weekend, and they were all going to see their, their men who were in the military and, and going to hang out with them on their passes for Valentine's. Well, somebody, I mean, you, when you fly to northern Alaska in the winter, everybody's always curious why you're going, and somebody said, why are you going? And I never tell people I'm a preacher. You want to end conversations on a plane, just tell them you're a preacher. And I said, I'm speaking on um, marriages and why Americans can't stay in love and how do you make marriage work. And I had Bambi sitting in front of me. I don't know her real name, and I'm not trying to be as insulting as it sounds, but uh, this, this girl from Texas, and Bambi's all known scholar, she jumped out of her seat. She turned around and she put her arms, you're going to talk about love? And, 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 and she's batting her eyes about 73 times a second. And she just, you're going to talk about love? Y yes, I, I am. I got a question. I got a question. And she just bouncy here. <laughs> she said, I'm going to go up, and my boyfriend is probably going to propose to me this weekend. I think he's going to give me a ring. And then she interrupts herself. Here's why I think that. Because he told me to put the rental car on my credit card, because I think he's maxed out his credit card on a ring. That's what I think. <laughs> and she looks at me, and I'm not making any of this up. This is, I mean... And she's just batting and going and telling her story. And then she goes, should I say yes? <laughs> Bless your heart, hon. <laughs> I asked her a question that threw her off entirely. I said, is he wise? I, I don't know. Is he wise? I don't know. He's had three affairs on me. but we really love each other. Can I tell you that every fool will fall in love and the worst fools will fall in love repeatedly? Do not tell me you fell in love. That means nothing to me. 
That means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Falling in love is so easy, and fools do it very, very quickly without substance, without concept, without foundation. And Bambi, I don't know what happened, but somebody got a train wreck. There's a, a way of doing your singleness that is one of the kindest things that you will ever do because it prepares you for what's ahead. Some of you have unfinished business. Don't get in a relationship yet. Some of you may even turn to somebody and say, I, I love you, I care for you deeper than I know how to tell you. And there may be a future for this relationship, but the truth is I've got unfinished business in my life. That concept is incredibly simple. Well, how do you know if you are whole? That's a whole discussion that would take us a lot longer, but let me, hit, let me hit five things really, really briefly. Number one, contentment. If you're not comfortable in your own skin, how God made you, if you're not at great peace with yourself, if you are not prone to gratitude, all of that means about contentment. You show me somebody prone to gratitude. You show me somebody at peace in their own skin, somebody who's okay, God made me this way you're beginning to see the signs of wholeness. Joy or happiness would be the second thing. The kind that comes, the kind that comes from the inside and doesn't have to be imported from the outside, doesn't have to be loaned or borrowed or bought or watched. It's the kind of joy or happiness that's not purchased or based on circumstances, but you dance with the Lord, and your dance with the Lord produces a certain joy and delight. But if your joy is circumstantial, in activity base, you probably don't have wholeness. Number three, do you have uns unshakable morals? You know that you're the shadow in the image of God, and you don't change with the crowd or shift with your moods. Your feet are set. And so the, the kind of morality you live, you're, you're the shadow of the, of the living God. This is who he is, and you look like him. A distorted shadow is not whole. Now, we're never going to be fully like him. I understand that. Quick repentance and great humility. But, but a shadow should look like the thing it is. You're the only thing on the face of the earth made in the image of God. And your morality better not blow with moods or, or peer pressure. Number four, you live well in community. Are you known for wise and godly friends? That you can make and keep both peer and intergenerational friends. And your solitude and your interactions with people are, are healthy. If you do not do well with, with, with other people, you're not whole. Responsibility. It's the fifth one. I, is it a good friend of yours? You're solid, reliable, you can be counted on. You look after yourself and others well. And yes, you make your bed and the dishes and the sweeper know you by name. I know an awful lot of girls who are trying to rescue guys. You're marrying a fool. And I know guys that are running around with a girl who has a hole you could drive a Mack truck through in her chest. She's so insecure, and she just really wants somebody to love her so desperately to affirm her. You're not whole. And you won't be able to live out the claims that love makes. For what it's worth, you didn't have wholeness when you came into this world. 
wholeness is, 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 is more than what I've just given you. But basically, here it goes like this. You came into life without wholeness. You were not content. Somebody had to give you contentment. Your mom walked you up and down hallways and patted you and sung to you, sang to you. You, you didn't have your own joy. It, you had to be entertained. You didn't have your own morals. Not in the least. You didn't have any morals at all. Watch a nursery. You, you are horizontal on every one of these things. And the secret to life is learning to stand on your own two, two feet with wholeness. Now, when you start, you borrow, first of all, from, from parents. And you borrow all of those things. You're supposed to. And then, after a while, you, you, you begin to move in your childhood and you grow up. And you don't just borrow them from parents, but you start borrowing them from adolescent friends. That's why first graders, five girls will go to the bathroom together like an amoeba going somewhere. Why? Because we're borrowing our joy. We're borrowing our contentment. We're borrowing our morals. Little boys, little boys are notorious for this. You borrow your morals from your friends. You, you can have the sweetest little boy in your church, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, second grade, sweet kid. Wonderful kid, until his cousins from St. Louis show up. And the next thing you know, they're shooting streetlights out with a BB gun. And you're going, you hypocrite, you! No, no, no. He's not a hypocrite. He's a borrower. He doesn't have internally. What he's designed to do is to borrow, first of all, from parents, and then borrow from adolescent friends, but he's ultimately designed to meet his living God. And he and, the, he and the Lord have this conversation and a relationship. The Christian life is never a set of morals or uh, things you put on. The Christian life is, is an accompanied life with the living God. It's figuring out who I am. And, and he grows up. I, I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek here. But in some ways, I wish I could take every 13-year-old kid I ever knew, go drop them off on a deserted island just by themselves until they and the Lord can figure out how to have this conversation. And, they know, and, and so they come back with wholeness. But we don't do that in our culture. We just, we just added Ken and Barbie to it. And we're a Ken and Barbie world. And so you, here's what the culture says. Borrow from your parents. Borrow from adolescent friends. And now about seventh grade, fifth grade, somewhere in here, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't know when it was for you, but the group pressure began... You, and so the next thing you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. I walked through the foyer of our church many, many years ago. It was a second grade little girl. I knew her. School's out. She'd been there at the church. She's sitting on the couch and she's just bawling. Second grade girl, she's just bawling up a storm. And I went and sat down beside her and she just laid her little head over on my chest and I just held her she just shook and and, and I said what's wrong sweetheart what, what, what's wrong I'm trying to think death of a grandparent I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure what could have ha happened and when she collects herself she looks up at me and she says Mr. Garris none of the boys in my class will go with me what, go to the monkey bars go, go to the water fountain what, what do you mean none of the boys will go and I'm trying to keep from smiling and then she ripped my heart out with her follow-up sentence and Mr. Garris and my 
in my class, if none of the boys will go with you, you're nobody. Some of you have grown up in a world where you just wanted affirmation. Please. There's not a boy in this room who got drunk because you liked the taste of alcohol. You got drunk because you wanted the blessing and affirmation of somebody. There's not a girl in this room who lost her virginity because sex and lust was why she lost it. She lost it because she wanted it. Affirmation, please bless me. Because I don't have on the inside my own wholeness. Can I borrow it from you? Would you give it to me? And that's the, probably the easiest explanation I can give you for the home you grew up in. You say, well, wow, this is wonderful. This is, this is wonderful. They found each other. They fell in love. They meet each other's needs. Isn't it great? There's actually three kinds of marriages. I'm going to introduce you to three kinds of marriages. Tonight, I introduce you to one. There are three kinds of marriages, and the first kind of marriage is, is built for a Ken and Barbie world. It's built for people who don't have wholeness. Marriage number one is a one to three year marriage. It may last 50 years, but it's only got, I mean, all this life sucked out of it after one to three years. This one to three year marriage is probably, again, I, it's hard to quantify these things, probably 30% of all American marriages are this one. It basically has this idea that I'm not quite happy, I'm not quite content. Oh, I mean, I am in certain times and places and all of that, but I would be happy if the right guy loved me. I would be happy if the right girl loved me. I would be happy if, if I just had somebody come in and share life with me. I, I would be if. And I'll love you if you meet my needs. I'll love you. It's the cheap high school romance. Many of you know, and I'm not trying to be as obnoxious as it sounds. I'm trying to use cartoon characters so you can see it. But you know the ugly duckling guy and the ugly duckling girl that found each other. They were always together. The high school stud and the, and the little bouncy cheerleader. He didn't have wholeness. She didn't either. But he needed the right thing on his arm. And he had his own sexual drive. And she kind of needed the right decorations for her life and the right image. And, and those two found each other. It's the number one reason seniors get married at college. By far. He made fun of everybody who bit the dirt, and everybody's getting in relationships and getting married, but he, he's, he's, he's holding out, but he gets a little tired of doing his own laundry once every four months. He gets a little tired of doing his own meals. He gets a little tired of the roommate whole things. He gets a little tired of it, and I'm not quite happy, but I would be happy if the right girl loved me. He leans. There's some girl thought she wouldn't be single a long time, but she's been the bridesmaid at 37 straight weddings, holding the babies of all of her friends, She's beginning to feel like life may be passing her by a little bit. And those two will find each other and they will fall in love. And, the, and, and it feels real to them. It's a one to three year marriage. You see, one to three years into it, she'll wake up one morning and realize he doesn't love me. He loves himself, but he was using me to get what he wants. He loves the sex. He loves the meals. He loves the, the stability. But he doesn't really love me. And he wakes up one morning, she doesn't love me. Oh, she loves the stability. She loves the house and the cocker spaniel in the backyard. And, 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 she loves, and, and she loves to do some activities with me so she's not by herself. And, and, but she doesn't love me. She loves herself. And here's what also happens. She wakes up one morning. She's putting her makeup on. And the guy's in bed there, right there beside the bathroom. And she realizes she still has a hole in her chest. I used to believe 
She doesn't feel pretty enough, skinny enough, talented enough, well-liked enough, but I used to believe that all that would go away if the right guy loved me. And now I still have the hole in my chest. I guess I, it would go away if I had the right guy love me. And we're back into the same nonsense again. This, um, this system is basically a contract. It says, you meet my needs well enough, I'll give you love in return. Here's the truth. Nobody can meet your needs well enough to make you whole. Nobody can do what God alone can do. And you used idolatry of marriage. You used idolatry of dating. You used idolatry of relationships. Instead of going to God the healer, you went to everything that God made and said, maybe that will heal me. That concept is why it matters a great deal that you use your season of singleness for what it's designed for. I chase after wholeness. Don't cheat on this season of life. Whoever takes shortcuts on this wholeness, a broken life is what you get. I'm not telling you you have to break up every dating relationship in this room. I'd be an idiot to say that. My wife didn't marry a completely whole guy, I promise you. But my wife did marry a guy who was fighting hard to be whole, and I was on the journey. And I, I'm sure I wobbled more than she did, but I, 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 I married an incredibly whole woman. Everybody thinks I must have got her liquored up to marry me. I don't, I don't have any idea, but... But she was patient and she had enough wholeness to wait while I continued to grow up some. You want to know what you can do in dating relationships, and that is you kind of make sure that if, you, if, if you're still in this, I mean, by the way, if, it, if it's a blatant fool, the decision's settled. But part of your discussion has to be, do you look like the man of, of wisdom in the book of Proverbs? Does, does she look like the woman of wisdom in Proverbs? And are you relentlessly on that journey? then you can cheer for each other and root for each other, but you cannot make each other become that. That's something only God can do. Why would you be tempted, by the way, to shortcut your journey to wholeness as a single? Many of you in this room would say, oh, man, I'm not going to get in a relationship till I actually take care of some unfinished business in my own life. I want you to stick with that. Don't be that s silly puppy. You ever watch a puppy? Something cuts in front of its face and immediately it takes off. Many of you said, well, I, I'm not getting in a relationship until some guy began to just simply waltz into your life and the puppy takes off. Do you have enough wholeness to even stick with your decisions? There are three reasons you might be tempted to cut this off. And I'm going to wrap up in about five minutes here. The three reasons that you may be tempted to cut off your season of, of, of singleness to actually grow up like you ought to. The first one is fear, the fear of missing out and fearful that nobody might want me. The fear of facing the future without somebody with me. I don't want to go forward alone. The fear of what it may say about me if I don't have somebody, please validate me. And so fear causes an awful lot of people to cut short the journey. Pride. Pride often causes people to cut it short. I want somebody for me. Other people have people for them. I need somebody for me. Isn't that an interesting preposition? For me. 
It's a complete violation of what love requires. But it has a consumer mentality. It also, oftentimes, you figured out what your power is. I'm not trying to be crass with this, but some of you girls have figured out that if you find an immature boy, your breast will cause a guy to fall in love with you. You've figured out that all you have to do is give just a little bit of attention, and he's like a puppy that will chase anything. And so there's a certain pride. I got power, and I can use my power. There are guys, you know you come across really well. Man, you, you hit a home run on first impressions. And the dimple's in the right spot. And your pride, I know how to use my power. And you're a user and a taker. Lust is a third. Fear, pride, and lust are often why. Lust is pretty obvious. Basically, you're in a culture that lies to you, and here's what lust will tell you. It will whisper in your ear. It will whisper, of course, I'm restless and miserable. We're designed for sensuality and sex. And of course, I'm miserable until I get my sensuality and sex with a real person instead of pixels on a screen. Lust whispers to you, all of this will get better once I'm married. Lust whispers, I will love all of you once I get part of you. It's interesting, by the way, that lust disguises itself. Lust doesn't always show its true colors. Some of you would say, I don't know that lust is my number one problem. Can I tell you, lust often creates increased loneliness, and it hides behind that. You would say, I'm not lustful, I just... I just feel incredibly lonely. I just need somebody. Lust often hides itself behind that. Lust creates a desperate need to feel connected to somebody. By the way, fear, pride, and lust are all the opposites of what love really is. Love opens up and gives itself freely. Fear is desperately self-absorbed. Pride can't tolerate risk of self for others and lust negotiates for the parts that I can use lust takes while love protects and so pride fear and lust are driving us into isolation while we're with someone and they create shallow relationships that serve no one well least of all the one we profess to love some of you in this room are my heroes I don't even know you but I love your story already. Some of you in this room, what a contrast to the man or woman of wisdom who takes no shortcuts, who cuts no corners in their season of successful singleness. God, you and I have a journey to take, and you will meet me on that journey, and you will repair me, and yes, I will always need to be repaired, and I will always have things I stumble on, but God, you have taught me. You repaired me. Some of you in this room, your well-lived singleness is a precious gift to an extraordinary kingdom life that you're, that you're living now and yet to live. And if there's ever a spouse for you, it's the courageous gift that you will be prepared to give them. And if you ever have a little boy or a little girl who really wants and needs to be loved by you, you've used this season as you ought to. You've prepared. You didn't squander it. You trained for a five-year-old little boy and a 13-year-old young man. 
Don't sell out. Don't sell out. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of porridge. Stop trading the family and the kingdom life you could have for a crutch called a relationship. The irony is that the people who need somebody to be okay will never be in an okay relationship. Marriage is made for grown-ups. It's the reason we don't have nine-year-olds get married. Marriage is where God has a journey with a young woman and a journey with a young man, and they have incredible stories to tell of the healing God and of a life of purpose and a life of joy and delight and they would love to get married, but if I never got married, I'd be perfectly fine because I have figured out. I mean, I would grieve that I didn't, but, I, but, but, but I, I, I'm well. And those two can get together and have a great marriage. These, it's just two robbers stealing from each other, and it doesn't go well. We'll pick this up tomorrow morning. Heavenly Father. I would ask that in these young adults and these leaders of the kingdom, Father, in these men and women that are going to slay dragons on behalf of the kingdom, Father, these people who are going to set the captive free, Father, would you be their restorer? Would they come to you for their healing? And Father, while relationships and marriages are, are, are your gift to us, Father, we can also use God against God so we run to the very gifts of God so we don't have to run to the actual God. Lord, would you bring about a healing and a courage in their life to chase after that healing? And then, Father, would you amplify and multiply their ministry, whatever it becomes? Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit take the words that I've used that are inadequate and the words that may be poorly spoken. And Father, would you affirm what is right and biblical and true in their own lives because of the presence of your spirit. It's in Christ's name. Amen.